You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Has anyone ever asked you, what do you believe about God, or what do you believe about Jesus Christ? And they want a simple answer, and they're not arguing, but sometimes we start arguing. Well, I don't believe in three God. I don't believe in this. Well, tonight, in the first half of this Bible study, I'm going to give you a one-sentence thing that you can say. And, uh, but before I can do that, I have to give you the background. So we'll turn the screen on, see if we got stuff. This is the name of our series, Jesus, It's All in Him. It's all in Him. Did you know that in the Old Testament, which is the Hebrew Bible, they consider it the Bible, There's one verse that's more important than any other verse in the whole Bible, and this is it. It's Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, this is the New King James. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema Yisrael. Yahweh Elheinu. Yahweh Echad. And it's so important that there's 20 verses that are associated with it. Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, verses 13 to 21, and Numbers chapter uh, 11, verses 37 to 41. And they pray that as a prayer every single morning and every single night. But the most important verses of all those 20 verses is this one. Shema, or hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, I don't know if you can see this very well, but there's something about this slide I want you to notice. Uh, I think you'll be able to see it better if I highlight it. Let's go to the next one. You see that? This is how they say it in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. Or, well, this is still New King James. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You say, why do they give a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D? I will tell you why they give a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Because that's really standing in place for something in Hebrew. It's standing in place for the covenant name of God. The covenant name of God in Hebrew is four letters. Yo-Heh-Vav-Heh, Y-H-W-H. And so we could sometimes translate as Jehovah. But more often, and probably a better translation, it's Yahweh. Turn to someone and say, the covenant name of God is Yahweh. All right. So every time you read capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the Old Testament, and thousands of times it appears... That's really the covenant name of God, Yahweh. Well, if you had to ask, what does the word Yahweh really mean in Hebrew? I'd have to take you to the book of Exodus, where God called Moses in the burning bush that didn't burn, didn't burn up at least. And he said, I want you to go into Egypt and save my people. And they argue back and forth. And then finally Moses said, well, when I go down there and they ask me, who sent me, and I have to tell him your name, what would I say? And God said to Moses, and this is the way it's going to read in your Bible, I, capital I, M, capital M, 
who, capital who, I am. I am who I am. In the Hebrew, it's Yah Asher Yah. Now, why is that capitalized? It's capitalized for the very same reason that L-O-R-D is capitalized. You see, L-O-R-D is related to the word, in English, something like to be, hayah. And in Hebrew, um, when you say hayah, it means I really am. In the next verse, the Lord God of your fathers. And when it says the Lord God of your fathers, it gives his name. Saying I am who I am is the same as saying capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me. This is my name forever. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is my name forever. This is my memorial for all generations. Yahweh is not, okay, so Hebrew is a little different. Hebrew's got the perfect and the imperfect. Perfect means it's already passed. Imperfect means something different. Uh, Yahweh in the imperfect means more than simply I exist, so much more. It means this. I will be who you need me to be. You need a savior? I got it. You need a healer? I got it. You need a deliverer? I got it. You need somebody to get you out of the land of Egypt? That's me. I will be what you need me to be. I am the God of all potentiality. So when you say the name of Yahweh, you said it all. Yahweh. They sang in that name. They prayed in that name. They promised things in that name until they didn't. Because after a while, they thought the name of Yahweh was too holy to say. And they started saying a generic name for Lord. And that's a sad thing when people forget to say the name of their God. So I need you to travel with me another 1,500 years, and we get, need to get to the New Testament in order to understand something very crucial about what we believe. I'm going to give you a one-sentence answer, but it's going to take a while to get there. We're almost there. I, guess, I would say we're halfway there. All right, here we go. New Testament. I know this isn't the cube, but that's all I got. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> go with me to the vis- village of Nazareth. That's so small that everybody knows everybody's business. If you sneeze on one side of town, they say type on the other side of town. That's Nazareth. And you had arranged marriages. Sometimes when you were four years old, you were arranged to get married to somebody. How'd you like that? Well, I don't know if this was arranged or not, but it probably was. There was a young man by the name of Joseph... And he was probably in his 20s, and Mary was probably a teenager. They married young back then. Maybe about the same age as some of you in the front row here, I'm thinking. Well, the angel appears to Mary and said, you're going to have the Messiah. Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you, and this is going to be really cool. And it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. Uh, Except, back up to that conversation in the previous slide, she goes to Joseph and she, uh, flip it back one slide. 
She goes to Joseph and she says, Joseph, my love, I know we're engaged for a year, but I have something to tell you. He says, you can tell me anything. I love you so much. You're so special to me. We're going to have a wonderful family. She says to him, Joseph, I'm going to have a baby. Who's the father? Well, I know this is going to be hard to believe. She tells him about the angel and how the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. And he is mad as a hornet. She's she, first she's unfaithful, and then she says that, and I'm supposed to believe that. Now the law said stone her, because otherwise the shame will be on your village and on your family. That's what people would have wanted. But he he couldn't do that. So he was just gonna break everything off in secret until in a dream the angel of the Lord said to him Joseph son of David do not be afraid to take you Mary wife for that which is conceived her is of the Holy Spirit and then verse 21 and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins now this is probably in my mind one of the most important verses in the entire Bible I want you to look at that, and what do you see when you see the word Jesus? Anybody? Yeah, it's all in caps. Uh, Now, here's the deal. The name Jesus is Yeshua in the Hebrew. And the word Yeshua in the Hebrew is a theophoric element. It means it has Yahweh in there. Yah. Yeshua. Yeshua simply means Yahweh has become our salvation. And a lot of little kids running around were named Yeshua. Joshua is the same name as Joshua in the Old Testament. Call his name Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. Here's the exact words, what this means. The name Jesus means that the Yahweh of the Old Testament has become our salvation. And for the first time in human history, it wasn't just a name, it was a reality that the God of the Old Testament became incarnate in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. All right, here's the one line. I don't want you to forget it. You're going to have to say it with me, and then you're going to tell your neighbor, and then you're going to stand up and say it and say, no, I'll just have you say it, okay? Okay, this is, people say, what do you believe about God? Or they'll say, what do you believe about Jesus? Now, the first thing you need to say is, I'm glad you asked. Tra- practice that. Because you want them to know you're not upset or you're not ready to argue. You're ready to share. I'm glad you asked. This is what we believed. 
We believe that the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, became incarnate in Jesus Christ. Can you say that with me? You ready? We believe that the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, became incarnate in Jesus Christ. Now, that was pretty so-so, but I'll take it. (laughs) Tell your neighbor that. See if you can still remember it. you Pentecostals, I've got a question for you. If the Lord revealed himself to Moses as Yahweh, the God of your fathers, then he said, this is my name forever. How could Jesus be the saving name of God? What does Jesus mean? Yahweh, Yeshua means Yahweh, his name is still present there, has become our salvation. Yahweh's name is present in the name of Jesus. That's a little trickier. You got that one, though? So ask your neighbor. You say, well, wait a minute. Isn't Yahweh's name forever? And then you explain why that is. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. And here's the kicker. This is the verse that will help you. You probably already know it. Neither is there salvation in any other. This is Acts 4.12. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Praise God. Let's give the Lord a hand clap offering of praise. That is part one of the Bible study. Uh, This is part two, and this is the geeky part. And I will try to make this simple, but when you get the paper, there will be words on every paragraph. You go like, what? What's that word? What's all these footnotes? But if you really want to know more, a dollar. All right, so I want to turn, I, I, I want us to turn uh, in, if you have your Bibles, to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 12. Revelation 3 and 12. And I want to do kind of a, a how do you explain this verse sort of answer. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. This is, uh, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the house of my God, and I'll write on him the name of my God, New Jerusalem, the city of my God. And then it says, I will write on him my new name. Wait a minute. Is Jesus now named George? Is that his new name? What's Jesus doing with a new name? Did it switch from Yahweh to Jesus to Sam? Well, spoiler alert, it didn't change to that, okay, just so you know. But in this verse, when it says he has a new name, you need to know a little bit about names. Because names are not just 
your name. I'm David Stewart Norris, Jr., that's my name, but you might call me uh, a driver, I drive a car. You might call me a golfer, but that would be a lie. <laughs> you might call me a chess player, that would be more true, but I haven't played in recent years. Uh, so you could call me a lot of names. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So when you say the name of Jesus, in the ancient times, you could add all the accolades, and that would still be considered a name. And not only does Jesus have names, that is, descriptors, attached to him, but also... Um, well, let me just see here. I kind of lost where I was. I started telling about golf, and that threw me off, I think. Okay. But also uh, people, nations, the people of God had names attached to them. So in Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 4, it talks about the people of Israel. They were named desolate. How'd you like that for a name? They were named forsaken. That's your new name, forsaken. And your land shall be desolate. But here's the good news as a prophecy. There's going to come a time when you're going to be named, my delight is in her, and the Lord delights in you, and you're going to be married. So there's a prophecy that, and that in the eschaton, I'll, here's the throw a big word here, in the eschaton, uh... I won't talk about the eschaton because that slide's not coming up. Never mind. I'll get to the eschaton. So what is Jesus in the book of Revelation? There's a lot of different names associated with him. In Revelation chapter 5, there's an angel who says, who's worthy to open the scroll? And verse 3, no one's able to open the scroll. And verse 4, he weeps. In verse 5, the elder said to him, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Jesus called the lion. Has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then in verse 6, And I looked and behold, a lamb, as though it had been slain, stood there. He was called a lion, and what appears is a lamb. But not an ordinary lamb. It was a lamb that was dead. A dead lamb? And it had seven horns and seven eyes. You say, what in the world? What kind of a movie is this? This looks like Bad Effects by Spielberg, or what is it? You know, what is this? This is called apocalypse or apocalyptic. It was symbols that were made into pictures. So the symbol of the lamb is really Jesus' entire life story. Did you know that Jesus could do something God couldn't do? You say, what? I thought he was God. Well, he is. But Jesus could do something God could not do. You're like, uh, is this a trick question? Or God can't die, but as a man, Jesus could die. And so that lamb figure tells the whole story of the cross and of the whipping and of the crown of thorns in his head and of the redemption price that was paid for you and me. And so here's the story of Revelation. It's the end of the book. Flip to the next slide. It tells about, have you ever told a, a, a story uh, to like your little brother or sister or your daughter or granddaughter or something, and you're reading the story and they know the book, they've heard it a thousand times, but they want to hear it again. 
And you see they're yawning and getting tired, and you say, well, that's it. But they know the story. That is not how it ends. You have to keep reading. You have to keep reading until it says, and they lived happily ever after. The book of Revelation is that. It's the end of the story, and it ends in a happily ever after. So, short and brief, what is this new name? All right, this one's harder. This is, I told you it was going to be more geeky. In brief, it's this. The new name is the new reality in the eschaton. I'll say it again in a different way. The new name is the totality of who Jesus is. It's the, the greatness of who he is. It's when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I'm not going to have time to take you through the book of Revelation, but there are a number of names that are associated with Jesus. One name is Lamb. In fact, the word Lamb is used more than any other name. And Revelation has a lot of cool things going on there in terms of how it's set up. So when, when you're talking about Jesus and when you're talking about uh, names, God is mentioned 14 times. Lord God Almighty occurs seven times. The one who sits on the throne, circumlocution for God, is seven times. But the word lamb, over against him who sits on the throne, is used 28 times. 28 times. I've got about four minutes to get you to where we need to have for a discussion, but I'm going to try to make this real simple. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 to 17, in the portions of text where the end is nearing, you have this cool thing that's going on. You see the lamb, you see him who sits on the throne, and all of a sudden they start merging together. You see that where it says um, uh, the, the wrath of God and the lamb, and he... You look at Revelation chapter 7, verse 17, and it's a lamb. And he's where no human should ever be. He's in the middle of the throne. There's a merging of God and the lamb. You look at Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, when the seventh trumpet has sounded, uh, and there are loud voices in heaven saying, um, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Uh, flip to the next slide. I think it's the next slide. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So then all of a sudden we see, talk about the lamb and who appears on a white horse. It's Jesus Christ. And when we get to Revelation chapter 22, listen to these words. Uh, there shall be no more curse for the throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it and they shall serve him. Not them. Him. And they shall see his face, not their faces, his face. When you see Jesus Christ, you've seen God. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. When you've seen Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells in him. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, and his name shall be on their foreheads. So here's, here's where that name thing comes in. All right, now this one was harder, a little trickier. 
When it says he has a new name, it's talking about the happily forever after. It's, happening, it's talking about the eschaton. It, it means when every knee is bowed, when all the sinners have been destroyed, and the evil that's on this earth has been done away with. That's the time. What's his new name? Oh, his new name is glory and honor and praise. And it's not only Jesus who's elevated. If I had time, I could take you to uh, Revelation 2.17 and Revelation uh, chapter uh, 19 and verse 12 to show you it's us who get elevated as well. Because before that time, no one can see his face. Revelation chapter 6, they're fleeing, uh, they're hiding in caves from his face. And in Revelation chapter 20, uh, the earth and heaven fled away before the face of him who sits on the throne. But it says in laud and praise that we shall see his face. We'll look at Jesus and we'll say, God, all and in all. Yeah. Praise the Lord. All right, now I have a task for you. And you're going to need friends. You're going to need about four or five friends, really good friends. And I have two case studies and you can pick case study number one, or you could pick case study number two. But you're going to have to find the right answer. Someone has to be a leader in your group. And you know what the leader's job is? The leader's job is to make sure no one dominates and that everyone gets to talk. And no one is dominating, including yourself. And then the leader is going to pick someone else who's kind of take notes if they can or whatever. And then a third person's going to be the reporter for the group. And I'm going to come down with a microphone, and you're going to give your group answer. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> All right, you say, well, what are the questions? What are the case studies? And it's really hard to do it all in one row, so some of you will have to, like, turn around or sit on the floor or maybe, uh, I don't know where you're going to sit. Okay, so can we get the case studies rolling here? All right, here's case study one and case study two. You don't have to do them both. You have to do one or the other, and you have to do it really, really well. All right? And you only get six minutes. Come on. We have a schedule to keep. Because I have to hear the answers of what you're saying, right? All right. So you can't have 72 in your group. Only five. If you've got too many, make some people blue. Go. The time has started. All right. I have a question for you. How many of you did case study number one? Raise your hand. All right. How many did case study number two? Raise your hand. Okay, I know who I'm calling on for case study number two. That's going to be an easy one here. So, All right, who would like uh, to volunteer their group uh, to go first for case study one? You want to share something? And your group doesn't have to have all the answers. You can just have part of them, so that's fine. We got something? Okay, you look like you're not running away. So anybody who makes eye contact, that's a positive sign. We did both, so I don't know which. Okay. So put, put those questions up again, case studies, and I'll read them just to refresh your mind. So Jason's asked about the God of the Old Testament. He seems like a bit of an ogre, but Jesus is a very nice guy. So what do you think of that? 
Um, oh my God, I'm nervous. Um, God in the Old Testament uh, was incarnated into a man named Jesus Christ, uh, who died for our sins, and that is why Jesus is more um, approachable. Basically, he's the same, except he's a man who died for our sins. That's great. Let's give this group a hand. I'll go, I'll go to the back of the room over here someplace. I saw these groups. They were done early. They seemed like they had it all together. Uh, okay. All right. I'm glad you asked. We believe that the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, became incarnated in Jesus Christ. That says it all. Let's give that group a hand. Now, is there a group on this side that maybe did a little bit more with Case Study 1? You, you did a little bit more. They're pointing at you here I, for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, so we said that uh, you know, God of the Old Testament chose to interact with men and people through the law, through priests, through sacrifices and so forth. But then Jesus came and Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. And he, uh, obviously, at that point, is much more approachable, more personal. Thank you. Let's give this group a hand. I'm going to cut to the back over here, because I know I'm going to the front for the question number two. So who here, who here is going to help me out here in the back here? Are we seen? Okay. Some, yes, point at someone. That's great. That's good. Make sure that they're going to be the one that's going to be... All right, who's doing it over here? They were pointing all over the place. I don't know who the... F okay, yes, apparently, apparently you're the guy. Oh, my gosh. They did not chill. Um, I just said that the God of, I mean, of the Old Testament never changed. We're the ones that changed. Um, the God of the garden with Adam and Eve were the same as the God with... Moses and with David and all throughout the Old Testament, but Jesus came to reconcile that relationship with us, so that makes him more approachable because that's his purpose. All right. Now, I'm coming to the front, and I'm in a big crisis because I don't know if we should leave Jesus and start working with Baha'u'llah, uh, or if that's his new name, or can you help me at all here? So I would explain to Lori that Baha'u'llah is never mentioned in the Bible that we have today, and that when it's talking in reference to the new name of Jesus, it's in reference to the relationship with the people um, through Yahweh to Yeshua. It's all the same name, all the same God, but his relationship has developed and evolved with his people, and it's simply talking about that relationship. Second group here. Uh, all right, so there was a second group. I don't see how you can get out of it here. So. Well, to be fair, I mean, I'm not going to say anything that Noah didn't just say, but um, we were on the same line where Baha'u'llah is never really mentioned in the Bible, and that we, if I were to explain this, I would reference what you were pointing out how Yahweh is transformed into Jesus, which then 
would translate, you know, into the new name in Revelation. So where you were talking about his name is glory, his name is uh, spectacular. Um, that's where that that prophecy is coming to fruition. And so Baha'u'llah is never brought up ever. This group of hands. Pastor Alice, I'm turning it back to you, and uh, we can see what... Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you, God, just for tonight. We thank you for the opportunity just to, to just start to scratch the surface of just how wonderful you are to us and, and how perfect you have uh, revealed yourself to us through your word and through our own experience. Lord, I pray that, God, as what we've heard tonight, as, as we begin to think about it and we begin to read it, I pray, God, that you would just continue to, to help us grow, uh, not just in our knowledge, but in our wisdom and in our understanding and ultimately our relationship with you that impacts the people around us. I pray you would open up doors for us to share who you are in our workplaces, God, in, in our families, among our friends, Lord. You're going to continue to open up these doors. I thank you for the Calvary Church. I pray you would bless us, God, as we go our way this week. Bring us back on Sunday. God, if it's your will, and let us do your work in this world, we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.